So this is the second take of the tease. <laughs> yes. Explain to people why we had to stop the first take of the tease. Well, I wanted you to re-listen to Movie Mogul Max on episode 43P. I felt yeah. like the levels were a little off. Okay. And so we, we listened on your cell phone. Right. And um, you, you disagreed. You thought the levels were fairly similar. Yeah. And so but I we, wanted to listen back to it so right. I don't make the same mistake that's twice. Right, that's right. right. And right. we started epi- episode 44, which right. I, I'm not sure we've started, but we started episode 44. The T segment, right. right. And, and, and your cell phone was still playing episode 43B, <laughs> and we couldn't continue uh, because I was like, there's yeah. something going on in the background. Well, it's it, the reason I'm having you bring this up is uh-huh. because it's a little trouble that I have, a little technical problem, yeah. issue that I have okay. for some reason with my phone. I know how to turn things on, <laughs> but I'm having a little trouble turning things off, and I'll tell you why. And it's very embarrassing. Every once in a while, I'll be going somewhere mm-hmm. where after 25 years of living in Seattle and the area, you would think I would know how to get there. Pretty much. But every once in a while, just to make sure, I'll throw on the GPS, mm-hmm. just to make sure, yeah. whether it's a, a kid's game at a place that I've been to 50 times, but yep. I just want to make sure that I get there, yep. Yep. or it's a restaurant where I've been 25 times, but I'm meeting somebody, a sponsor, whatever, I'll throw it on the GPS. And- when I get there, I think I turn it off, and then I'll be sitting having breakfast, <laughs> and it'll say, "It'll say, take a right." Yeah, uh, you, you've arrived. You've, you've arrived. arrived you're you're it's like so embarrassing. Like in the middle of like watching a game at a That's at a funny. field for the forty sixth times, everybody will hear it say, "It's actually pretty." Funny. We've lost your GPS. You know, your GPS yeah. has lost. We have yeah. lost signal, in the, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah. geez, I didn't." Would you like I, to resume your route? Yes, yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know how to turn it off. So I get very. I'm. It's very embarrassing. Well, that was nice because um, yeah, it was playing. So anyway, what yeah. I'm going to tell you is, it's sold out. The arena sold out. The arena. Yeah, for your match. With Rudolph Giuliani <laughs> from episode 43P. Yes. Now, people listening now that did not hear 43P know that in the true spirit uh-huh. of Justin Bieber challenging 31-year-older-than-him Tom Cruise to a challenge match, mm-hmm. which he has since rescinded because he knows he'd get his ass kicked, yeah. which I think he'd get his yeah, ass Yeah, you kicked. said that. I do. Yeah. In the spirit of that, I thought that we should fight on the undercard. We should each fight guys that are 31 right. years older of course and, and i picked mine i'm gonna kick woody at woody at allen's ass yeah and then i gave you like a whole host of people to choose from in 43p you did and you chose rudolph Giuliani. yeah but i will say this on your teaser yeah you threw out Geraldo Rivera, which we did not talk about on the air really you never mentioned him no and I, i'm saying I gave you Barry Manilow. You turned it down. Yeah. I gave you. Why would Mick, I want to? Why would I want to fight Barry Manilow? I gave you Mick Jagger. No. You turned it down. Yeah. I gave you Ben Kinsley. Nope. You turned it down. You're going straight for the jugular on yeah. Rudolph Giuliani. Yeah, I was say Geraldo Rivera. Had you give me that, <laughs> oh, you would have. Oh. It would have been right there. But I'm good with Rudy Giuliani. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still good with that. I saw a video of and him. I'm not reneging. He's working out to yeah. get ready for the I'm, match. I'm waxing that. But it's. <laughs> All, all day long. Uh, I gave you all Bobby De Niro. I gave you Robert De Niro, who's 31 years older than you yeah. are. You turn it down. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, you got so I'm just telling you, it's sold out. We got a capacity, a capacity crowd. You're going to be hearing it from the crowd right. against uh, Rudolph Giuliani. Uh, episode 44 is on. Mm-hmm. We got to start it here shortly. The most important number, by the way, in what school's history? 44. Do you know? There's a school out there. There's a college out there that literally has retired 44 from all basketball players. No basketball player can wear it, and no football player can ever wear 44 again. What school has is 44 most? I have no idea. All right, I'll give you the names of the players of why it's retired. Okay. Jim Brown wore 44 Okay, there. so it's Syracuse. Ernie Davis wore 44 there. Floyd Little wore 44 there. Derek Coleman wore 44 there. When I was going to school at Syracuse, they actually opened a bar right there on Marshall Street called 44s. Okay. So 44 is the most significant number in Syracuse athletic history. I just want you to know Because that. of whom? The guys I just mentioned, okay. they all wore oh, 44. Okay, so it's just because of the because of the, the great, historic the, nature yeah, of the 44s. They went through a they went through a period it. there where just everybody was wearing 44, and they kept on handing it out, and then they handed them out to a couple of guys that probably shouldn't have been wearing 44. Right. You remember Billy Owens? Oh, of course. Did you 30. know he was 30? Okay, though. but did you know that Billy Owens had an older brother? No. Named Michael Owens, uh-huh. who went to Syracuse a year or two older, year or two before Billy Owens, and was a star running back on the football team. He wore 44. Did not know that. Yeah. So when naming 44, I'm going to consider that, but it's not going to, mm-hmm. it's not going to play a, a huge part. Yeah, I don't. I, my my Syracuse lore is is uh, <laughs> restricted to dinosaur barbecue. Oh. See that I think yeah yeah that's been around for a long time yeah. I believe yeah and, and you went there for what when did you go to you went to Sweet 16 oh oh UConn no we played West Virginia and lost oh the big tall guy that shot threes with the tattoos on West Virginia what yeah. was his name he played for the Kevin Lakers. Eubanks no I'm not thinking of that I'm thinking somebody else I'm thinking about a tall white guy that that shot threes with a long name on West Virginia. You know, it may be, maybe not, not the same no, year. No, we're not. Not the same year. Pulling. But you went you went to Syracuse for a few yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you enjoy your time at Syracuse? It was a horrible city. <laughs> Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, available. But, yes. But I did I did hear that it is the Harvard of Central New York. It is the Harvard yeah, of Central yeah, New York. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, available on most podcast platforms. This is episode 44, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, listen, and rate, of course, two shows per week, as you know. Mm-hmm. The second is available to only patrons for as little as $5 a month. 43P had Logan Gilbert on, the first round draft, draft choice of the Mariners last year, who's on fire, who's, as you say, dealing. Dealing. In his first, he had another great start since we did 43P. Right, movie mogul Max was on forty three P talking about his rolling stop. We got the mitigation. Did you listen to that segment? I did. And by the way, the letter came today. The oh. official judgment came today. By the way, is there or yesterday? We is got there it. More in to discuss mail. about that. Fifty bucks. He saved fifty bucks. It was reduced from one twenty four to seventy five. Yeah. So about fifty dollars in savings for writing the mitigation letter on the rolling stop. That was discussed in 43 Just, And I'll have this conversation with him on my way out today. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But his his whole notion of, I didn't see the prequels to John Wick uh-huh. versus the 
Did I catch him or not? Yeah. And him going, well, that's different. They reset. Yeah. Get the bleep He out has of here. got an what? answer. Believe what? me. You should try living with him. Okay. Try living with All him. Right. I guess I raised him, so I yeah, guess it's yeah. my fault. Yeah, yeah. Become a patron. It's as easy as going to MitchUnfiltered.com and clicking the Become a Patron. We'll have another episode this week. I'm hoping that I'll find my dear friend Ben Wright to have him discuss what he saw in this weekend's U.S. Open. Yeah. Uh, but coming up on 44 with you, uh, we have three guests. Now, did you see the John Stewart speech to the House Judiciary Committee on behalf of the 9-11 first responders. I saw an abbreviated version on Twitter, not the extended full. Nine minutes. Yeah. Got to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. And it's going to be, I'm going to play, we're going to play on this podcast. Okay. That speech, because right after we replay that speech, which is incredibly moving. I don't know if you thought that from the speech oh, you saw. Oh, it was unbelievable. Great speech from Jon Stewart as they try to raise more funding for our 9-11 heroes. The guy that was sitting right behind him in that room mm-hmm. was a guy named Rob Sarah. Rob Sarah on 9-11-2001 was a 21-year-old who had just finished the firefighting academy, had not started his job as a firefighter for another day or two, looked up, saw the World Trade Centers coming in, and went, got his stuff, and that was his first ever Oh, my scene. goodness. And he went... And he's going to join us on this episode. He was right behind Jon Stewart. And he's going to tell us his story. And he's going to tell us the story of so many of his peers and why they need money and why Jon Stewart was doing what he was doing the other day. Rob Sarah has graciously agreed to be on our show, on our podcast, and tell his story. It's a very, very moving story. Story. 18 years later, he's 39, lots of health problems. He's watched a lot of his peers die sure. of cancer. Many of them, I think eight or 9,000 of them have cancer now from the asbestos sure. and, the, and the conditions and the breathing condi- and the, toxi- the toxicity, is that the word? Toxicity yes. Yes. of the situation. Rob Sarah will be a guest. Kevin Pelton, the ESPN NBA writer on the fallout from the huge Anthony Davis trade to the Amazing. Lakers. Yeah. He, I'm going to give you a hint, he gave the Lakers a C-plus on this trade. Wow. C- on ESPN.com. He's going to join us. And I was I was running around on the internet, looking around on the internet, and I came across a New York Times opinion piece on a subject that you and I have spoken about multiple times, a non-sports subject okay. that you and I have spoken about multiple times. Right. And I said to myself, Self, you got to have her on. She was the writer of this piece in the New York Times. What I would f- go on to find out is she's kind of an expert in this genre. She wrote a book about it. Her book is called The Art of Screen Time. Oh, yeah. The Art of Screen And I want to tell her and find out what she thinks of my friend Jason Hamilton and his wife, Michelle, who take devices at 9.30 promptly every night away. I want to find out what she has to say. I'm going to mention you and your story because I need some help. The Levies need help. So her name is Anya Kamenetz. She went to Yale. She's written books about this. She does NPR about this. She does the New York Times about this. She's got a grasp on how we handle screen time. And she's also kind of diving into, you know, the stuff that we, now I don't do this, but the stuff that we put on our kids' phones and devices to see what they're watching, to monitor. All the tracking. The tracking. She's got very harsh opinions about whether we should be doing that as parents. 
whether we should be looking at what they're watching or we have something I, I i will tell you that our family decided to put on this life 360 which allows you to know where your kids are yeah. and allows them to yeah, know yeah. where you are yeah so we so i want to ask her she's got very definitive views on that stuff as well so she'll be our third guest on episode so a 9-11 first responder an ESPN.com writer to talk about the big trade, and an expert in the art of kids and screen time. Great guess. Got it? Great. All right, episode 44 brought to you by the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. I still have some extra Mitch unfiltered tumblers. I'm giving them away. All you got to do is be one of five people that are listening to this show right now that are willing to call the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage at 425 425- 250-3150 and merely just ask them how much you would save in a refi. You don't have to, you're not committed to do anything. All you gotta do is make the call, mm-hmm. find out how much money you would save, and then write me a note at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and say, I did it. Yeah. And I'm gonna send you a tumbler. Rates are okay? going down. They're, they're it's a good going call. Down. And I already and I already sent a few tumblers out from, nice. from episode 43. It's very easy. All you gotta do is call them at 425-250-3150. Ask for Jordan Flowers or any anybody on his team and just say, My name is Joe Schmo. Don't say Joe Schmo, say no. your actual name. Yeah. And I just want to know how much I would save as a homeowner per month. If I were to refinance today, Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. Financial Times named them one of the top financial advisors in 2018. Offices in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley. We are now three legs into the Majors Challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Call. And away do you hear the update on today's episode 44. Zeke's Pizza, I've said it over and over again, the best pizza in the Northwest is Zeke's. The best pizza company and people making, serving pizza in the Northwest is Zeke's with now almost 17 locations. 16 and a half, a new one's coming. Number 17 is coming. 16 locations, Zeke's Pizza. And Daniel's Broiler, there's no better special occasion evening in the Northwest than the four locations of Daniel's Broiler, period. End of story. We had a blast on Wednesday night. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Are you ready for episode number 44? I am. Here we go. It starts now. Unfiltered. Why should they be allowed to call a timeout that they don't have, get the technical, and extend the game? I mean, that, that at that point is a tactically the correct decision. Otherwise... The clock just runs out with him with the ball on, a, on his back at midcourt. If a team calls a timeout that they don't have, the team that's going to be awarded the technical should be given the option, if you want us to run five seconds off, because obviously it was going to be at least five more seconds with him on his back, they should give the team that's being awarded the technical the option of, instead of a technical, a five-second runoff and the game's over. Otherwise... They can actually call a timeout that they don't have, and the technical foul kind of could save a team in that situation. Unfiltered. These people are young men and women with the rest of their lives, and we ask them to volunteer. There's there's no draft. We ask them to volunteer to go protect us, and then they come home, and they've got the rest of their lives. And whatever we're doing, whatever assistance we're doing, it's not enough. It's not enough. These people went and, and sacrificed their, their mental health and their physical health and put their lives on the, and can't really live the rest of their life because of the nightmares, we can't walk away from them now. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 44, 
Mike Cameron. 357, the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a fly ball hit into deep center field. Cameron going back to the track, to the wall, makes the leap, and makes the catch! Oh, oh, I hate to say it, but it was a Griffey-esque catch. Make it Cameron-esque now. He receives a standing O. I thought you were say Michael Cage. I am, but I th- when you I said, you, you started going there, and the, I am. That's the first thing that came to my mind. You had to like Cammy, though. Oh, for sure. Everybody was a fan of. You know why I was a fan of Cammy? He was traded for whom? Oh, that I don't know. Oh, that would be Ken Griffey Jr. He came. He was the guy who had to succeed. Ken, Ken Griffey. Griffey Jr. Now think about Jobs. Yeah. They say that you don't want to. Yeah. Follow the legend. You want no. to follow the guy who is yeah. who follows the legend. Right. Think about the situation Cammy was in when he was traded for Ken Good Griffey point. Jr. And he came in. He was a, a very solid ball player. Maybe not an all-star, but a very solid, great defensive player. Yeah, he he went out there and he said, you know, I'm not Ken Griffey Jr. I'm Cammy. He once hit, didn't he hit four home runs in a game? I think he once hit four home runs, at least three in a game. So you got Cammy. You've got 44 Derek Fenner. Mm-hmm. Running back, Seahawks. You got your boy Michael Cage mm-hmm. and the Jerry Curl. Oh, for sure. Uh, David Thompson. Oh, yeah. David Thompson. I NC remember State, when I was a Denver kid, Nugget. the leaper. Oh, yeah. They used to say he could go up and take a quarter off the top of the backboard and leave two dimes in a nickel. That's nip. right. Give you change. That's right. So there's your 44s locally. Well, uh, David Thompson wasn't local. Well, he played for, he, he wore 44 for the Sonics. Yeah, but. For know, a half a minute. Yeah. Uh, and then some great all time 44s. Jerry West wore 44. George Gervin, the Iceman, who did that poster in Seattle somewhere. Well, Jerry West is the logo. He's the logo. Uh, Reggie Jackson wore 44 Mm -hmm. for the Yanks. Pistol Pete Maravich Mm -hmm. wore 44. Mm -hmm. And Willie McCovey wore 44. Pretty good. And here's what I have to tell you about McCovey, Maravich, Jackson, Gervin, West, Thompson, Cage, Fenner, and Cammie. None of them are going to have 44 named after them. You'll find out in the last segment who's going to have number 44 named. And, the, and Syracuse isn't either. All of those guys are great, I but I got know. a better I one. I got it. You got it? Yeah. You're, you're, you're Just sharp. like that. You're right Just there. Just like I got it. Okay, do you want to start episode 44 with OJ on Twitter? <laughs> or, do, or do you want to start with the U.S. Open and your boy Gary Woodland? Oh, Gary Woodland. All right. Yeah. You rooting for him? I was. You were? Yes. You I, didn't, I did not want Kepka to win. Really? Why no. not? Too much? Too much. Too soon? Too, too much, much too, too soon. soon? How are you on the tobacco chewing? Have we noticed that? Is that new? What's so funny about that is I don't know why today was the first day I recognized it. I think it's the same reason that it was the first day that I recognized it. I, th- I don't. Everybody's going to say that he was chewing at the Masters. Yeah. Chewing, I, I th- I'm, pretty, I'm pretty perceptive on that stuff. And they were showing him. What do they? Do we need the close-ups of him like spitting the? the yeah, they, the they disgusting. They did do that a more. couple times. Do you have direct or do you have uh, Comcast? Comcast. So on direct, you have the the U.S. Open Experience Channel where they 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 give you more options. They give you the feature groups. Okay. And and you were watching all that stuff. Yes. So I was switching between the feature groups and the live coverage and you know, whatever. But I, I just noticed it more today. And I'm like, he's got a, a big, a bit of a deeper pocket there in his cheek than I've noticed. Plus the spitting, I'm like he's chewing. 
He's definitely chewing. He's chewing. He's definitely chewing. You got Tiger and Phil now chewing gum. Gum, yeah. You got him doing tobacco. Should we be concerned? Should we even be discussing this? Does it matter that Brooks Kepka, four-time major champion, going after his fifth, going after a three three-peat at the U.S. Open, is chewing tobacco and spitting it out on yeah. the on the legendary grounds that are well, Pebble Beach? Listen, it's 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 maybe more. I'm going to say different, not disgusting. It's more okay. different than um, what we've seen in the past, but it's not like Arnie didn't smoke cigarettes and other golfers of, in their heyday didn't John Daly smoking cigarettes while on the golf course. Okay. I mean, so there's an advantage, I guess, of calming, of yeah. bringing in the moment. So you're okay with it. I it's mean, kind of gross, isn't it? I'm not going to make any judgments about what people do with their, uh, like, listen, if you want to do that, that's your own deal. You ever done it before? Oh yeah. Oh, you have. Oh yeah. Tell me. I've never done, I've never put one of those things in my mouth. Never put anything like that in my mouth. Tell me. What is there to tell? Did you do it for a long time? Yeah. I used to chew. Oh. In high school. Really? Yeah. Who got you hooked in high school? That's not important. Yes, it is. I don't need a name, but like a, like important. I, how long did you chew? Oh, just, for a little bit, but I mean, it wasn't, it was more to one of those dumb things where you, for me anyway, where, you know, I did it. You didn't get hooked or anything no. like that. No. You chew. No, I chewed. I, well, chew, I meant it as a past tense, but yeah. I guess maybe chewed. Wow. Chewed, chewed is a little tense. something I never knew about. Yeah. Did you think Gary Woodland was going to win the whole way? Did you feel like he was going to win the whole way? Or I did didn't. I, I thought it was going to come down to Justin Rose or somebody around there. I wasn't sure that Kepka was going to climb and make a make a real deal. And then when he came out four or five, I'm like, oh my goodness. Here we go again. Here we go. Yep. Uh, but then when he finally got a bogey and things settled down, I just wanted Gary Woodland to hang on. Uh, and not because I have anything to do or anything against Brooks Kepka. It was more... Gary Woodland put himself in a great position to win, and I wanted to see him hold on to do it. You know he was a college basketball player. I do, which is why I like him. Washburn College or University. Mm -hmm. I've seen pictures. He's got a decent stroke, too. He does have a pretty decent – he's a pretty big, Big burly. burly. How about the Wilson cap? I mean – How many people wearing the Wilson cap these days? He's got to be the only guy – Patty who? Harrington. Does Patty Harrington wear the Wilson cap? Well, he's I think he's still a Wilson guy. God, I don't I I, I didn't even know that Wilson was still around. Yeah. Wilson's in the golf business? The Wilson <laughs> company, Wilson Sporting yeah. Goods? Is he he's not playing Wilson irons or something like that. Yeah, and golf balls. No, he's not. <laughs> Is he playing pinnacle golf balls? He's not. So two shots, because yeah. I know there's a lot of people that don't want us to do much on the US Open. Sure. Two shots. Second shot at 14, the par five. Yeah. Where he just hammered that three wood right over the and trap, just unbelievable. Got enough, and then the chip. I saw you comment chip on the chip. seventeen. Oh, beautiful chip on seventeen. Beautiful. I would have been crapping my pants. No to, doubt to, on that tight. You could lies. skull that oh, into the ocean. Yeah, forget forget in the hole. Into well, the you've ocean. also here's the other thing that I'm I'm saying this not because not because I'm bragging. Yeah, but you and I are also people who have played. Pebble Beach. I'm about to play it again. You are about to play you it. You were invited. In, in a I'm about to play yeah, it again. You're going to yeah. go to AAU basketball That's right. instead. But we also know kind of what that that kidney-shaped green on 17 looks like. And basically, it's two separate tiers, two separate landing areas. And to be able to chip it over 
the hump back there and stop it and still make a three is amazing. How far are my fingers apart right here? For your shot on 17? No, I'm going to tell you who's. Who's? How, how far am I apart? Uh, inch and a half. Wally Walker. Really? I was with him. Wally Walker hit it to about an inch and a half on 17. Almost made a one. I was with, one and a half. I was with you at Poppy Hills when you put it one and a half. Did I? Yes. On we, a par three close? Yes. Really? Yes. I actually think I still have a photo of that. <laughs> You're sure I didn't pick up the ball and place no, it? No, I was there. It? Okay. Uh, a couple of uh, oddball things on the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Did you see Jim Nance? No. On the telecast with Joe Buck. I never saw it. It was so good. Awkward? I don't know if it was. It was a little awkward. It was funny, the reaction. I saw when they invited him. Yeah, he went up there. I saw when they invited him. Of course, he lives right off the deal, but I I didn't see him. He seemed very comfortable. Joe Buck didn't know what to do with himself. Right. Yeah. And Jim Nance was given compliments to the Fox broadcast, and you guys are doing a great job. Which and, is not true. And the world was like, get Joe Buck out of there and yeah. let Jim Nance just take it from here. Paul Lazinger didn't know what to say. He said, there, you got to, at some point, it's all over the yeah, internet. Yeah. Go, go yeah. watch the Jim Nance in the tower with Joe Buck and Paul Lazinger. All right, let me just jump in. Yeah. What I would be more cringeworthy of is not Joe Buck and Jim Nance. Yeah. It's... The Fox television camera crew following the in-flight ball. Those guys that do that week in and week out are really, really good. People that don't do that every week, yeah, it's hard to do. You can't find the ball? And <laughs> you can see the cameras all over the damn place. Anyway. All right. Uh, one other thing. A couple other things. Yep. Uh, you want to make a comment about our boy Patrick Reed, my most... I've now found somebody that I dislike more than Phil Mickelson. It's not, and I don't even think it's close anymore. Patrick Reed snapping. How about the fact that not only does he snap the wedge over his knee? Yes. The toss. How about the fact that he throws the two pieces down kind of away from the caddy to make the caddy have to walk over and pick up the two pieces of the, of the wedge that he just yeah. snapped over his knee? So I put out a poll on Twitter that said, so which is worse? Which is worse? Phil Mickelson running after the putt and putting oh. it in motion. Oh, oh, yeah. Or yeah. Patrick Reed snapping the wedge over his knee. And to me... They're both gross. But to me, Phil hitting a putt... I, there, there's pe- plenty of people who responded to me and said, what's the big deal about Phil? He just took the penalty. Oh, and they, the, nah. That is the ridic- most ridiculous, asinine comment ever. Yeah. Phil was out of his mind so mad. He wasn't thinking about penalties and advantages. Yeah. He he was pissed. I think they're, they're both disgusting for completely different, different reasons. reasons. You're asking me to compare one to the other. I would say Phil's is worse. So, just because... Just because, well, I was going to say it's a disrespect to the game. I mean, he's breaking the rules on purpose of the game. In competition. In, comp- in the U.S. Open. Phil's yeah. actions yeah. actually affected the outcome of the tournament. Patrick Reed's was just a burst, an out, an outburst of yeah. anger. Yeah. Did you see the Jordan Spieth controversy? Yes. What do you think of the Jordan Spieth? Everybody bashing Jordan Spieth. Because he hit a couple of shots that didn't work out after getting advice from his his Pacific Northwest caddy, Michael Greller, I think is his name. It is. 
Uh, he says, two perfect shots, Michael. You got me in the water in one and over the green in the other. Walking away, dismissive, very angry, mm-hmm. very upset, very frustrated. People jumped all over Jordan Spieth for that. It was caught on TV. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? He was wrong. Yeah. Do you think it was as disgusting as everybody thought it was? No, because, listen, in a partnership sometimes like that, you need to vent and the person the closest to you, you say some things that you shouldn't say. He he knows that he's as responsible, if not more responsible. It's He's the one's hitting the shots. It's it's on him. He's the chairman of the board. He can veto any, exactly right. any club selection exactly from right. Michael Grubb. But sometimes in that moment, you need the release of saying something. Just like in the moment Patrick Reed thought he needed to break that club over his leg, which is completely irresponsible. But in that moment, that's what his release was. Typically in a player-caddy relationship, you can say some things. It's nasty. You don't. You probably shouldn't, but you say it. And, and that's what I think about it. I think, the, I think it was a major national overreaction. Mm-hmm. And I agree almost entirely with what you just said. Does he wish he had it back? I'm sure he does. But I think we should, before we jump all over him completely, I think we should remember a couple things. we got to look at it in context. I I think he's deserving of that. Sure. Let's look at it in context. Number one, Jordan Spieth wears his heart on his sleeve. And I believe, and I think this is important, that he is as critical openly of himself as he is of anybody else. Yeah. In fact, he's probably too critical yeah. of himself openly. You catch it all the time. You, he, he just, he just, he, he curses himself out after yep. bad shots. Yep. So it's not like he is somebody who is only critical of the caddy and never takes responsibility as first. That's number one. Okay. The second part is I, I would say is let's also look at what he said. Two perfect shots, Michael. You got me in the water in one and over the green in the other. It wasn't personal. It wasn't character assassination. It wasn't um, expletive laced. Mm -hmm. Okay? So a lot of things could be said that were a lot worse. That's number two. For sure. And number three is, I would just say the big picture. I don't think it's – and I'm not a huge – I find myself defending Jordan Spieth. I I don't think he should have done what he did, and I know that he probably wishes he had it back. But you can't look at this – without taking a look at the big picture and the relationship between these two guys. If I said to you four days ago, what's the closest the closest relationship you think between a golfer and a caddy right now going on the PGA Tour? Who's got the most tight-knit, deep relationship of any guy out there, you probably would have said to me, Mitch, I'd probably say Jordan Spieth and Michael Greller. The, Jordan Spieth, at every turn, yeah. publicly for years, we, has, been, ha, has been given Michael Greller credit. He started the we thing. I don't even like the we thing. It's right. But he, now everybody does it. He did. Ricky Fowler does it. Brooks Kepka does it. We hit five iron on 16. Or our, our strategy was we executed beautifully today. I was really pr- pleased with the way we – everything is we. Right. Everything is not me. It's Michael and I. Right. And he started that. I don't even like that. I agree. Right. And now everybody's doing it. They're all saying we. Mm-hmm. Right? I heard Ricky Fowler after a 66 on the first round say, well, we had a good game plan coming. Yep. They're all still. He has been the most publicly appreciative and credit-giving 
rewarding to his caddy of anybody. And I think that deserves to be considered Mm -hmm. before the nation jumps on him for what he said and what was caught on Mm -hmm. TV. So those are the three things that that I would say. By the way, unfiltered majors challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Call. You know that somebody after four majors is going with me, not you because you're not going. (laughs) Yeah. To Pebble Beach to play Pebble Beach and Spyglass and stay at the the the, the thanks to Evergreen Golf Call. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just amazing that they've come through the way they have. Tyler, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. So twenty three people had picked Tiger Woods in the Masters out of a few thousand. Tiger Woods in the Masters and Brooks Kepka in the PGA. Four of those twenty three had Brooks Kepka again in the U.S. Open solo second. Only one person had Gary Woodland, but that person was way out of it to yeah. begin with. So we've got a four-way tie going into the final stage. Now, there were some Justin Roses yeah. with those two guys. Yep. There was some Xander Shoffleys oh. with those two guys. So there are some people laying in the weeds, but we've got a four-way tie heading into the British Open next month, which is going to decide who plays Pebble Beach thanks to Evergreen Golf Call. So if you're one of those four people, what would you do? Ooh-wee. At the and the British is being played at the, like an the, Irish course the, that that the, no one's ever played before, right? Yeah. That's never been on the Port Rush, right? I, I don't even know where they're playing. Some some place it's not hosted very many British Opens. I the don't fact think. that Tiger mentioned that he's never played there before, I saw him in his post game. He said, "I've never played north of of." County down. Okay. And this is north of that. Yeah. Right? So we could have a long shot. I think we could have a long shot winner, not somebody somebody could pick somebody a little off the map yeah. and 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 sneak in and win this yeah. whole thing and go to Pebble Beach. What would you who would you pick? Ricky, if you were if Ricky you were one Fowler. of the if, if you were one of the four? Ricky Fowler. You you wouldn't feel I obliged. I, I believe he's won he's won the I think he's won at that course before. You picked him in the U.S. Open. How'd that turn out for you? You picked a bunch of shitty players, too. Hey, are you cursing on episode oh, 44? Sorry. You're not allowed to do that. Oh, I picked Xander Shoffley. Yeah, finished on the I'm top talking of, about... I don't remember that. Yeah. You picked Ricky Fowler after he shot 66 in the first yeah, round. Yeah, I did. And then it didn't go very well yeah. for you. But you, you turn around if you were one of the top four tied, no. and you would put everything on Ricky no, Fowler. No, I wouldn't. Who would I, you, who I, would would, you? I would... Brooks? Yeah. I don't know why... I don't know how... What he's done in these... I don't know how you would not. I think you've got to just go with the horse that's seemingly in the race every single time. Yeah. Because of the four people, the one that doesn't pick Brooks, I mean, you are gambling. But the, we go to tiebreaker. You're not going to be the only one of the I four. I know, that but I'm just you. saying. It may be all four that pick Brooks. And then somebody else can come from behind. And you have to go to a tiebreaker. That's right. It's going to so be I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. All right, I got three good guests for episode 44, and then we got to, you and I have to talk about you. Yeah. And we got to talk about LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the Lakers and LeVar Ball and KD. <laughs> yes. Um, a couple of other things. Uh, so we'll come back and wrap up. And I got to tell you who episode 44 is named after as well. Okay. Okay. Three good guests coming up, and then you and I will finish it off. All right? Yep. You know, Jay Ham, I still have those Mitch Unfiltered tumblers that I'd like to send out free to some listeners of episode 44. They're the most popular item we've done so far, and you can't order them on our page. 30-year fixed mortgage rates are now at around 3.8%, and I will bet you that more than half of our homeowning audience could save money every month with a refi. So here's what I'm going to do. 
I've got five tumblers to send out to listeners of episode 44. Here's how you get one. You simply call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, Jordan Flowers, or anybody on his team. Just identify yourself and ask them how much can you save per month with a refinance through the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. That's all you have to do. No commitment, no nothing. Just have to call and ask. And once you do so, you send me a note at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. It's on the honor system. And tell me that you called and asked, and I will send the first five people that do that a Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr. The phone number is 425-250-3150. Again, 425-250-3150. The 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. So this is going to be one of those segments that we do from time to time on Mitch Unfiltered, where we wander away from sports to discuss something of the utmost importance, something that might put sports in its proper perspective. Back on Tuesday, former talk show host and comedian John Stewart appeared in front of the House Judiciary Committee to essentially beg for the extension of funding for our 9-11 heroes, those first responders to the World Trade Center scene, many of whom have died since from the toxic conditions under which they serve thousands and thousands of others who are living with cancer and countless respiratory illnesses as a result of their selfless actions, one of whom will join us in this very segment of Mitch Unfiltered. If you haven't heard the exasperated and moving words of John Stewart, here they are. I want to thank Mr. Collins and Mr. Naylor for putting this together, but uh, as I sit here today, I can't help but think what an incredible metaphor this room is for the entire process that getting health care and benefits for 9-11 first responders has come to. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders, and in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. It's shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country, and it is a stain on this institution. And you should be ashamed of yourselves for those that aren't here, but you won't be. Because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. We don't want to be here. Lou doesn't want to be here. None of these people want to be here. But they are, and they're not here for themselves. They're here to continue fighting for what's right. Lou's going to go back for his 69th chemo. The great Ray Pfeiffer would come down here, his body riddled with cancer and pain where he couldn't walk, and the disrespect shown to him and to the other lobbyists on this bill is utterly unacceptable. You know, I used to get, I, I, would, I would be so angry at the latest injustice that's done to these men and women, and, uh, uh, you know, another business card thrown our way uh, as a way of, of shooing us away like children trick-or-treating, rather than the heroes that they are and will always be. 
Ray would say, calm down, Johnny, calm down. I got all the cards I need. And he would tap his pocket. Where he kept the prayer cards. 343 firefighters. The official FDNY response time to 9-11 was five seconds. Five seconds. That's how long it took for FDNY, for NYPD, for Port Authority, for EMS, to respond to an urgent need from the public. Five seconds. Hundreds died in an instant. Thousands more poured in to continue to fight for their brothers and sisters. The breathing problem started almost immediately, and they were told they weren't sick, they were crazy. And then, as the illnesses got worse and things became more apparent, well, okay, you're sick, but it's not from the pile. And then, when the science became irrefutable, okay, it's the pile, but this is a New York issue. I don't know if we have the money. And I'm sorry if I sound angry and undiplomatic, but I'm angry, and you should be too, and they're all angry as well, and they have every justification to be that way. There is not a person here, there is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11, never forget their bravery, never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. And where are they? And it would be one thing if their callous indifference and rank hypocrisy were benign, but it's not. Your indifference cost these men and women their most valuable commodity, time. It's the one thing they're running out of. This should be flipped. This hearing should be flipped. These men and women should be up on that stage and Congress should be down here answering their questions as to why this is so damn hard and takes so damn long. And why, no matter what they get, something's always pulled back and they got to come back. Mr. Johnson, you, you, you made a point earlier, and it was one that we have heard over and over again in these halls, and I, I, I couldn't help but to answer to it, which was, you said, look, you know, you guys are obviously heroes and 9-11 was a big deal, but, you know, we have a lot of stuff here to do. And, uh, you know, we got to make sure there's money for a variety of uh, uh, disasters, hurricanes and tornadoes, but this wasn't a hurricane. And this wasn't a tornado. And by the way, that's your job anyway. We can't fund these programs, you can. Setting aside that no American in this country should face financial ruin because of uh, a health issue. Certainly 9-11 first responders shouldn't have to decide whether to live or to have a place to live. And the idea that you can only give them five more years of the VCF because you're not quite sure what's going to happen five years from now, well, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen five years from now. More of these men and women are going to get sick and they are going to die. And I am awfully tired of hearing that it's a 9-11 New York 
issue. Al-Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. They attacked America and these men and women and their response to it is what brought our country back. It's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon, to remind us of why this country is great, of why this country is worth fighting for, and you are ignoring them. And you can end it tomorrow. Why this bill isn't unanimous consent and a standalone issue is beyond my comprehension. And I have yet to hear a reasonable explanation for why. It'll get stuck in some transportation bill or some appropriations bill and get sent over to the Senate where a certain someone from the Senate will use it as a political football to get themselves maybe another new import tax on petroleum. Because that's what happened to us in 2015. And we won't allow it to happen again. Thank God for people like John Feel. Thank God for people like Ray Pfeiffer. Thank God for all of these people who will not let it happen. They responded in five seconds. They did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. Thank you. Just an amazing nine-minute speech by John Stewart to the House Judiciary Committee on behalf of the first responders and the Victim Compensation Fund. And now joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, and it's a privilege to have him. A guy who was only, what, 21 years old on September 11, 2001, Rob. Rob Sarah joins us on the uh, Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Rob, thanks for being with us. If you wouldn't mind, I know you've been asked a million times, and I, I delicately ask a million and first time for you to tell tell your story of September 11, 2001. Sure, no problem, and thank you for having me on. Um, like you said, I was 21 on, on September 11th. I, I just finished up the academy on the 10th, uh, and I was off that day. I was, I was driving out to Long Island to... Uh, try out for the FDNY hockey team when uh, I saw the towers on fire and uh, obviously changed my plans and, and made my way to ground zero. Um, so that was my first day, and uh, that's where it all started for me. So you hadn't even begun your new job as a New York City firefighter. You were supposed to begin the next day, is that right? Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure it was the next day or, or the day after. You know, we all had different days to report to our firehouses. Um so I don't know when I was scheduled to work. But, yeah, I mean, I was, I was ripping the tags off my gear on the bus on the way there. Unbelievable. Uh, much to the uh, delight of the guys making fun of me. So. Yeah, and your, and your older brother was a firefighter? Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he got on a few years before me. Uh, he's still uh, active now. He's a captain. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he was there, too. And, and you called him on the way to the scene? I did, because uh, I didn't know what to do. You know, I'd, I'd never been to a fire before, but I could see, obviously, uh, you know, they were going to need some help. So I called him, and he's the one who told me to go home and get my gear uh, instead of just driving straight there, which obviously I'm thankful for. And so can you tell us, to the best of your ability, when you got there, how long were you there, some of the things that you found, and, and just the, the day, the surreal day that unfolded before you? Sure. Um, you know, before I got there, I, I donated a pint of blood. 
because I'm O negative. Um, so I felt obligated to uh, to do that. Then I got there probably in the afternoon uh, and started out. Um, you know, they gave me uh, those orange parking cones. Uh, so initially I was going around just, just marking body parts with uh, with the parking cones. Um, then later on I helped with, uh, you know, stretching hose lines and basically whatever they told me to do because I didn't really know what I was doing, you know. And, and like everybody else, I was in shock. Um, so I did that for a few hours, uh, and then my nose started to bleed uh, pretty bad. Um, you know, that air was so thick, you know, you could cut it with a knife. And uh, my nose bled probably for about three or four hours. I passed out on the wheel of a bulldozer. Then I got up probably in the middle of the night, did some more work until uh, till a chief told me to go home. You got there and you were, you were quoted in a recent piece as saying that you knew when you arrived that your health was complete. I mean, I, I'm assuming you were fearful for your life when you got there. I don't know, maybe you weren't at that particular point by the time you got there, whether you were fear- well, absolutely. fearful. Absolutely. Okay. On that bus ride in that I described, uh, a priest came on the bus and read us our last rites. Um, so we didn't know what we were going into. We didn't know if we were under attack, if there was right. missiles coming. We had no idea. You know, and when we were there, they had these uh, these big big whistles that would go off, and they said every time you hear this whistle, you need to run into the tunnel because we don't. There's another attack coming. So, so yeah, we, you know, we were, that was certainly on the forefront of our minds. But like you said, me personally, I remember I, I sat down to take a break, and uh, a McDonald's worker came over and, and, and gave me some food, and uh, and I just remember thinking to myself that you know this isn't going to end well for a lot of people, you know, because. In the academy, they teach you the dangers of breathing in concrete dust and pulverized glass, asbestos, and all that. And and there I was on my first day breathing in that and 160 other toxins that can kill you. You know, and so, it was it was pretty clear. And so the nosebleed was as a result of what you were breathing in, obviously. I would assume, yeah. And you know, I, I was down a pint of blood to begin with, so uh, you know, it was pretty hard to get under control. Tell but us, yeah, it had to be. Tell us about your health. Rob, Rob Sarah is the voice, a hero in our midst, uh, talking about being 21 years old, having not even started his job as a New York City firefighter and seeing the towers on fire and going to help. Tell us about now that's, you know, it's 18 years ago already. I can't even believe that. Um, how has your health been? And tell us about some of your, your colleagues and share with us the aftermath that, you know, a lot of us can't even comprehend the numbers of illnesses and deaths as a result of just the the conditions under which you had to work. Yeah, it's 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 pretty staggering. You know, me, me personally, I mean, I have several illnesses. Um, I have sin- I had sinus polyps removed. I have uh, GERD, PTSD, sleep apnea, thyroid nodules, uh, peripheral neuropathy, and some other neurological issues. But, uh, so I, I consider myself fortunate because as of yet, I haven't gotten the big diagnosis, but over 10,000 people have already been diagnosed with a 9-11 cancer. Um, we have 96,000 people in the health program. Over 40,000 are being treated for one of those illnesses that I described. The FDMI, uh continues to, to take a big hit from 9-11. You know, we have over 2,100 members right now battling a 9-11 cancer. Um, we've already lost 195 to a 9-11 illness, uh, and it's not stopping anytime soon. You know, uh, the experts are predicting the cancer rates to go probably 20 to 50,000 people in the next two to five years once the asbestos-related diseases uh, 
manifest. You know, there's a latency period on a lot of these things, and uh, we haven't even hit it yet. So that's that, that's a big concern. But yeah, I've lost a lot of friends. You know, and 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 it it's happening quickly. You know, guys are getting diagnosed with cancer and dying within a couple months. You know, I had a friend. He ran the New York City Marathon in in November, and he died in in March from lung cancer. That's how quickly it's it's taken us out. So, how Rob? Again, I ask this very delicately. How do you go on? And then I want to talk to you about the fun that was created and the problems that we have and whatever we can do as just fans of yours and fans of everybody that helped. Um, we're willing to do it. We're all the way out here in Seattle, but we feel very close to the scene, obviously, as everybody does. What is it like? Well, you have people in Washington yeah. State in the program. You know, there's people in all 50 states, so this isn't just about us. It's no. not just about first responders. So, you know, it, it really truly is a national issue. Yeah, and that was what John said over and over again in his speech, yeah. in his speech the other day. What's it like? Tell our listeners what's it like to be living with these problems but worried that the next time you go to the doctor, the next time you're tested, the next time you do a blood test, what's it like having to worry day to day to day feeling like it's just the inevitable that at some point, what, you're 30, what, 39 years old now? Uh, yep, yep, 39. What, what's it like to have to live with that cloud over you knowing that it's just, in your mind, a matter of time until you're diagnosed with something even more serious than what you already have? Uh, it's scary. You know, I, I have three kids under 10. Um, I lost a parent at a young age and I, I know what it's like. And, you know, I, that's really what, what's on my mind. Um, you know, I, I feel like the sand is moving a little quicker through the, through the hourglass, like most of us do, you know, because it's happening to our friends. So yeah, it's, it's scary. You know, I try not to think about it, but it's hard not to, you know, every time I look at one of my kids, you know, it, it, it hits me. You know, yesterday my son graduated kindergarten, and the whole time I sat there crying, wondering if this is the last graduation I'm going to see, you know? Wow. I'm so sorry for that. I'm so sorry that you feel that way. Take us through a little bit the history of this bill. So the, the as I understand it, the Victim Compensation Fund, or the VCF, was originally set up, originally, for the victims of 9-11, and then it was expanded to include the families and those that are suffering from illnesses from that day. And it was just funded, but we just had no idea. We, we underestimated, whoever it was that put the, the numbers together, underestimated how many sicknesses and how, how big the fallout of this was going to be. And now we're down. It was supposed to last until 2020. The money, the billions of dollars was supposed to last to 2020. But so many illnesses, so many deaths as a result of those conditions on 9-11 were out of money. So we're pushing to establish a bill that would continue to fund it forever and ever and ever. Is that right? Do I have that right, Rob? Essentially, yeah. And, and the initial bill was set up in, in 2010. They gave us five years to prove that it was medically necessary and to prove, uh, you know, the link to 9-11 and that there was going to be no fraud. And we proved all of that. So then in 2015, they extended the health care portion of the bill 75 years, which essentially makes it permanent, you know, because we're not going to live to be 100 and something years old. So we got 75 years on the health care, but they only gave us five years on the compensation. I mean, we knew back then that five years wasn't going to be long enough because we knew the, the latency periods of, like I said, of asbestos and, and, and diseases like that. So 
we knew this fight was coming. We knew the money wasn't going to be enough, but that's all they would give us at the time. So, we, you know, we've been preparing for this for the last three years because we, we knew it was coming. We saw the cancer rates rising. Unfortunately, we, we have to go back and, and, and beg for more money because they didn't give us enough the first time. Um, that's the frustrating part is, is all the experts told them it was going to take at least 20 years for, for a lot of these cancers to kick in, but yet the bill expires a year before that. You know, so what's the hang up? Where is the hang up? What portion of Congress? Well, we just is got the through the House. Yep. We, 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 uh, you know, we came out of committee and we're going to the floor for a vote in the next week or two. But we have uh, at last check 314 co-sponsors. So it passed. So now it's on to the Senate. So the hang up is going to be the same thing it was the last time. You know, uh, the last time um, the Senate leaders held it hostage. You know, they, they wanted to get what they wanted out of the bill, unfortunately, is, is what happens in politics, right? These bills always get attached to something else. And we were, we were set to be in a transportation bill, and it got pulled because Republican leadership wanted to sell some more oil. Um, so we're hoping that something like that doesn't happen again this time, but you never know. You know, hopefully John Stewart made an impact, and hopefully the cameras and the lights will keep shining on this so, so we don't have to go through something like that again, so we don't have to, you know, have people tell us, our lives are only worth, uh, you know, a few barrels of oil, you know. So hopefully uh, the, the, the Republican members of our Senate will step up and do the right thing. You were sitting right behind Jon Stewart when he delivered that message to the House Judiciary Committee, right? I was. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was with him uh, in the room before that, and he had a speech prepared. Uh, and we were just, you know, talking, and he was really nervous, you know. And, and I asked him, I said, what are you so nervous about? you John Stewart, you, you know, you've done so much in your life. And his response was, you know, I don't want to F this up for you guys, you know. And, and you, you could tell he meant it. So when he went in that room and he saw all those empty chairs, I saw him. He just pushed his speech ahead in front of him and just spoke from his heart. And uh, I'm real thankful he did because he, he hit all the bright notes, you know. He said everything that needed to be said. And I think those empty chairs are what hit a lot of us, including myself, the hardest, the fact that so many chose not to be there. Mm-hmm. Do you sense you sense they were scared to be there? Maybe. Uh, you know, John has a reputation of being a bit of a loose cannon, but but we've noticed. You know, I've been going down to Washington for five years now, taking hundreds of meetings, and it, it didn't surprise me. You know, you know how many times we've we've had meetings, explained why we're there, who we are. Uh, you know, and then hear the back door slam as, as as the congressman sneaks out the back door. You know, mm-hmm. so we weren't surprised. It, it's 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 pretty typical, but uh, you know, I'm I'm glad John called him out on it. You know, well, all I have to say is, and I speak on behalf of the relative few that listen to this podcast, but I'm sure the nation feels the same way, or at least a good portion of the nation feels the same way. First of all, thank you. Thank you for what you did, and thank you for what you do, and thank you to all the people in our audience that might do something similar the way the way you acted on 9-11. That's first of all. And second of all, this is not a New York issue. And that's downright offensive for people to make this about New York. There was nothing about 9-11 that was solely about New York. This was about all of us. And as I said, we sit here in Seattle, what, 3,000 miles away, but we feel like we're your neighbor and your your supporter in all this. I wish you, Rob, and your family, your young family, all the very best. 
we will all pray for your health and all of your colleagues' health as we go day to day. I hope that you can live a, a normal and fun and exciting life. And just know that we have your back and we love you very much and we'll be pulling for you. We hope that this bill is passed and that this compensation fund is funded forever and ever because you guys deserve it. Thank you so much for being on our on our podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for telling our stories. What a privilege. Rob Sarah, a New York City firefighter, a hero from September the 11th, 2001. All right, who's coming to Pebble Beach with me next month? It looks like we've got a four-way tie in the Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by who? Evergreen Golf Call. Of course, Tyler Hay and his premier wealth manager teams in Bellevue, Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley have made this possible. A trip of a lifetime. You watch Pebble Beach over the weekend. You now can come with a guest with me in July, thanks to Evergreen Golf Call, the great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. They've already given away three trips, by the way, in our March Madness pool. I'm super lucky to have a partner like Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, managing over $2 billion in assets, the 2018 fastest growing wealth manager named by the Puget Sound, headquartered in Bellevue with offices all over the West Coast, Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well, there was incredible pressure on Jeannie Buss, Rob Palenka to get a deal done and bring Anthony Davis to the Lakers. This was their one chance to make dramatic improvement to that organization in the short term and the long term. There he goes, AD. Hold it down. How about a poster? Anthony Davis is on fire. Wow. Wow is all I can say about this NBA trade, this NBA finals. I don't know how many people in the Northwest care that much. At least they pretend not to care because we don't have our team. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, here's Kevin Pelton, our buddy, the ESPN NBA writer here in Seattle. Fabulous Pelton cast, of which I've not been invited. And the man who graded the trade for ESPN+. Plus. All right, Kevin, for all of us who can't afford to uh, pony up what it costs to get ESPN Plus. Share with us your grades on the Anthony Davis big blockbuster to the Lakers. Well, well, the big takeaway is that once we learned all the details of the draft picks involved in this trade, that, you know, I think it's a, a better trade for the Pelicans than it is for the Lakers. I gave them an A- minus and the, the Lakers a C+. Plus. Uh, you know, obviously the Lakers get the best player in the deal, one of the best players in the league in Anthony Davis. And, and that's a great starting point, but they had to give up a lot to get him uh, three of their four, you know, kind of core young players, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart. And then this series of draft picks, uh, starting with the number four pick in this year's draft that they jumped up in the lottery and got, and that really helped their chances of getting Davis, but also you know, it's going to be one in either 2021 or 22, depending on the protections, one in 2024, 2025, that the Pelicans will actually have their choice of years and something we haven't really seen before in the NBA in many years. And then also in between, much like that Celtics-Nets trade involving Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett a few years ago, the Lakers gave the Pelicans a, a 
swap right in between in 2023. So, you know, if the Lakers go south, as LeBron James starts to head into his late 30s, there's the real potential for this to get kind of ugly for them on the backside. If the Lakers win an NBA championship, if they win one NBA championship as a result of this trade, does the C-plus go to an A-plus? I think it's worth it then. I mean, you look at, you know, this is a different trade than Toronto's trade for Kawhi Leonard who because they didn't have to give up nearly as much. But, yeah, obviously that right there, flags fly forever. That justifies okay. the, uh, you know, what you have to give up. But, uh, you know, part of the reason I don't like this trade as much for the Lakers is because it also, you know, really hampers this year's roster. And there's one thing that's still to be determined that's going to go a long ways in figuring out just how good a trade this is. And that's the timing of it. Because, you know, either the Lakers can do this trade on the first day that you can sign free agents, which is July 6th, and then they'd use part of their cap space to take in Davis because they'd be sending out less salary than they'd be taking back in. Alternatively, they could wait 30 days until after they sign this number four pick because they'll have to, to make the pick for the Pelicans and then include his salary in the trade like the Cavaliers did when they traded Andrew Wiggins as the number one pick in 2014 to get Kevin Love. If they do that, the Lakers then have max cap space. Otherwise, if Anthony Davis doesn't waive the trade bonus he has in his contract, they only have, you know, somewhere in the range of about 23, 24 million in cap space, not enough to go out and sign another max free agent. Okay, so why wouldn't Anthony Davis do that? If he wants to have the best team possible and a team that has a chance to win the NBA championship, how much money are we talking about by doing plan B, which allows them, I assume you're going to tell me to sign Kemba Walker or somebody like that? Yeah, I think that'd be the kind of player they'd be targeting would make sense with this core. It's a it's a $4 million trade bonus for him. And, you know, it may not matter in terms of the max free agent if they do the trade on July 6th. That would probably only matter in terms of July 30th, and, and then he could get the trade bonus. But uh, uh, the, the, the indications, there was some reporting by the LA Times uh, on Sunday that, you know, it does sound like right now the plan is to make this trade on July 6th so the Lakers would not have max Why? Why? Well, I don't know. I'm I guess I'm missing something, Kevin. Explain it again it, to me. Why, why would they do it on July 6th? Who does that, by doing it the second way and having the max contract still available, who does that negatively impact besides the $4 million of Anthony Davis? It, it's the Pelicans who are affected here because, okay. you know, if you don't do this trade until July 30th, the number four pick can't play in, oh, in summer league with okay. their new team. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's one factor. They also would create a little cap space the same way the Lakers would lose it. Uh, but then the other aspect of it is by the, you know, Woj has reported that the, the Pelicans are already out there shopping this number four pick to other teams. So you want to make sure the value of that pick, if you try to trade it, is as strong as possible. I think it's only if the Pelicans end up keeping the number four pick that there's a chance of this getting pushed back to July 30th. Okay, we'll get to the Pelicans in a minute. Uh, Kevin Pelton is our guest to the fabulous Pelton cast. Is this trade enough with Kyle Kuzma and whomever they've got still left to go along with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. When you consider that Kevin Durant's not going to play probably anywhere for the year, maybe that Clay Thompson doesn't play anywhere for the year, you consider what Houston has, what Denver has, what Portland has, what Golden State will have coming back. Wouldn't Kyle Kuzma, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and then whatever they're able to add in free agency, maybe not a max player, but more in free agency, wouldn't that be enough to still make the Lakers the favorite in the Western Conference or no? 
I think it depends who they get with the with that money, and, and that'll be you know another big determining factor here. Uh, they had a similar amount last year and ended up with Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley and JaVale McGee, and we saw the results of that. But they didn't have when Anthony. LeBron, da- but they didn't have Anthony Davis. They didn't. No. Yeah, right. I, and I think they're going to be a playoff team. You know, I certainly think that. But if, if we're talking about them being better than you know all these teams that have uh, you know have experience in the playoffs together, have won you know. 50 plus games, that sort of thing. So that's where, you know, it's good. you're going to have to fill out a roster. Because the other thing is they've got six guys under contract right now, and none of them are guards. Literally, they do not have a guard on the roster. So they're going to have to go out and find some players to play guard. So you think, Kevin, if I'm reading between the lines here, you think that a Golden State team with Draymond Green and Steph Curry Let's say no clay, no KD, and then some other things that they that they add during the offseason. It sounds to me like you think that's a better team than LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, and whomever the Lakers add. Well, I don't know if I'd necessarily say that. I mean, I think, you know, that as I look at the Western Conference now, right now, first off, another big question is, will Kawhi Leonard come to the West, you know, specifically to the L.A. Clippers after winning a championship in Toronto? If Kawhi Leonard is with the Clippers, I think that's the favorite in the West. But, you know, if I looked at it right now, before seeing, you know, how things play out in free agency, I would say that it's probably a team like Denver or, or Utah and, and Houston and maybe even Portland gets in that mix is, is more likely right now to win than the Lakers or the Warriors. Okay, I got to go back to something you just said because I'm a Clippers guy and I'm pulling for the Clippers. Are you saying that you think that the Clippers, as is with just Kawhi Leonard, one max guy, makes them better than a Lakers team with Anthony Davis and LeBron James and Golden State with Green and Curry and whomever else? You think Kawhi Leonard alone makes that Clippers team the favorites in the West? I do. I mean, the, really? the difference here is, of course, the Lakers, you know, they had to give up three core players, you know, part key parts of their rotation to go out and get Anthony Davis. If the the Clippers do sign Kawhi Leonard, what makes this such a really, you know, exciting situation for them is it's sort of similar to when the Warriors signed KD. I mean, obviously, they're not coming off winning 73 games in a championship, but where, you know, the, the price that you have to give up to this get this player is relatively low. They could still bring back, you know, virtually the entire core of that team that pushed the Warriors a little bit in the first round and add Kawhi Leonard on top of it. And they've got, you know, some young talent, Shea Gilgis-Alexander at point guard, Landry Shamit at, at shooting guard. Both of those guys started as rookies. You expect a step forward for them in, in year two. And I think that, uh, you know, they also have some, would have some work to do in free agency beyond Kawhi. But I, I think they have a chance to build the deepest roster in the West and uh, one with, you know, Kawhi Leonard. We just saw in the playoffs, you know, he was arguably the best player in the league, certainly the best player in the playoffs. All right, two last questions for Kevin Pelton, ESPN NBA writer who's also stationed right here in Seattle. Big Seattle guy, big Seattle sports fan. My second to last question is a crazy one, but I'll ask it anyway. Because of the fact that AD doesn't do the extension now, you know, you see these football trades, they do the extension right away so that they're guaranteed that they're going to give up this whole compensation package and get a player for a lot of years. What happens if, for some strange reason, silly reason, AD doesn't like the experience in L.A., doesn't get along with a coach, or doesn't get along with the players, doesn't like the city, who knows, whatever reason, and decides, you know what, I'm not going to sign the extension next July. I'm going to go somewhere else and play. That's possible, right? Then the Lakers have given up. You get, you've given them a C-plus now. What would you then give them if they couldn't get AD beyond more than just a year? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're giving up this much for just one year of a player as a rental, then it then it becomes an F, I'm pretty sure, at that point. And it, it is a long shot, but of course we did see it with Dwight Howard when he went to the Lakers years ago, and you know everyone assumed, okay, they're going to have him and Kobe together for a period of time, and then uh, they struggled to coexist, and that team disappointed, and, and Dwight Howard walked away after the year, and, and we saw the result. The Lakers were out of the playoffs for in, you know now six years and counting. So, uh, you know, or, uh, so it, it would be be a difficult thing for them to uh, to overcome if that were the case, but but probably a long shot. Yeah, all right. Last question for Kevin Pelton is this Pelicans team. Do you like this group of players? Apparently you do. You like Brandon Ingram. I don't know much about – I don't watch it very often, so you know a lot more about it than I do. Hart and Ball seem like okay players. Ball has a big upside. I don't know if it's ever going to come to fruition. Brandon Ingram seems like a good player. They're going to get Zion Williamson, who's going to be the talk of the NBA starting the season next year. If they drafted number four without trading the pick, who are we thinking they're going to draft? And how good is this team going to be right out of the gate? Or is it just going to be a bunch of – a bunch of individual interesting players that when you total them up, it's not very good in the conference. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, on the the fringe of the playoff race. If they, you know, don't make a move with the number four pick and keep this group and add a a young player, you know, they may not get a lot of help from that number four pick as a rookie. They've got some interesting pieces. In addition to the young guys, Drew Holiday was terrific for them last season. You know, everyone who watched that playoff series against Portland two years ago, he was, you know, as good as anyone in that playoff series, was the best guard in that series against Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. So there's some good talent uh, you know, it may take a while for them to figure, kind of sort through everyone and figure things out. But I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch. Uh, with that number four pick, you know, the the Lakers people were thinking would probably use that on uh, Darius Garland out of Vanderbilt, a point guard who uh, signed with Clutch Sports, the uh, agency run by Rich Paul. But you know, he, point guard doesn't make as much sense for the the Pelicans if they have Lonzo and you know expect him to be their point guard of the future. Uh, in that case, I think maybe the wing Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech would be a possibility, possibly even DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, some of the guys who you know had uh, really important roles in this year's NCAA tournament. All right, our buddy Kevin Pelton says C-plus for the Lakers, A-minus for the Pelicans, C-plus for the Lakers. Kevin doesn't feel like it's a foregone conclusion that this is going to win a championship. Let's see what else happens, and then we can look back upon it and see whether this, uh, you know, we'll know in a few years. If this ends up in a championship and a flag is waving, as Kevin says, well, then it becomes an automatic A. Kevin, thanks very much for joining us. Great work on ESPN, ESPN.com, ESPN+. We'll talk to you down the line. Thanks so very much. All right, always a pleasure. Kevin Pelton, NBA writer, ESPN, ESPN.com, a C-plus for the Lakers in the acquisition of Anthony Davis. We have to wait and see how this all pans out. Listen, if you're ever looking for a spot to have great pizza, a nice selection of craft beer, and a comfortable place to watch sports, Zeke's Pizza is all over the Puget Sound area. They're about to open their 17th location, and you'd be supporting a very important partner of Mitch Unfiltered and somebody that made Mitch Unfiltered possible. If you're home, not in the mood to go out, want some Northwest-style pizza and craft beer delivered to your door, Zeke'sPizza.com is a very easy option. No third-party delivery service. Zeke's Pizza representatives arrive at your door with the shoulder cooler for beer and the piping hot pizza. I had a meeting with Dan Black earlier this week, and we have now set the wheels in motion for Seahawks viewing parties 
Husky football viewing parties at all the different Zeke's Pizza locations. It's going to be a great fall and winter viewing at Zeke's Pizza. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. So I was doing a little internet surfing the other day, and I came across an interesting opinion piece in the New York Times about the dangers of sharenting. Now, that's a word that I admittedly never heard before. What parents share about their kids on social media that may in fact be wrong and hurtful. But furthermore, the piece dug into a little bit about the applications that we parents use to keep tabs on our children, online grades, tracking software, programs to keep up to date with what they're watching on their phones. And I said to myself, self, You ought to get that writer on the show to help you with, let's say, an anonymous dad who hosts a podcast (laughs) and has a 17- and 13-year-old son and battles with them every single day about putting down their devices, phones, Fortnite, iPads, Xbox. It goes on and on. And here she is. Anya Kamenetz is a writer, speaker, and NPR contributor, Yale-educated, and also the author of a book called The Art of Screen Time, Anya, thank you for being with us on on the podcast. So start out by telling us what's the truth. How much is this stuff hurting our kids when they're on it as as long as they are? Well, that's an interesting place to start, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Um, You know, all this stuff is very, very new. Uh, Mobile technology, smartphones, they're really a decade at most. And so my observation with the artist screen time was just that we don't have grandma's wisdom for dealing with these issues, and that's why there tend to be panics. But, you know, these panics go back a ways. I was just talking to a researcher who was looking through some of the history and saying that, you know, there was a lot of worry about radio addiction, for example, in the 1940s, that teenagers were just as addicted to radio as, you know, alcoholics were to alcohol. And so a lot of these anxieties really come from stuff being so new. But at the same time, you know, you can't rule out the the fact that, these technologies are very scientifically designed, they're very interactive, and they're very private. And so one of the reasons that we have so much anxiety is that teens are really looking to disappear into a world of their own. That's kind of an age-old instinct. And because of these little phones, they could be sitting on your couch, but at the same time, they're God knows where talking to God knows who. And that is why parents get so freaked out right and so begin with sharenting tell everybody what sharenting is and do we you know share too much on social media about our kids from from sonograms all the way through their their early years so one study found that parents post about 1500 pictures of their children online uh, by the time they turn five obviously most of those are without, without consent and it's a really interesting line because Parents have a, you know, a certain right to free speech, obviously self-expression. They want to tell their stories. They want to share those moments with family far away, and those are all very legitimate needs. Um, but what we may be overlooking is that we're really telling our kids stories before they have a chance to tell them themselves, and we're exposing their information, their data, to uh, third parties that may be, uh, you know, may be nefarious, may not have their best interests at heart. Um, So uh, because of those dangers, I think, uh, above all, we want to be good role models to our kids. And so when we think more carefully and more judiciously and we get our kids buy-in and we say, you know, 
I want to show grandma or I want to show my friends this picture of you. Are you okay with that? And by the time a kid is four or five years old, you really should be involving them in that conversation. And that really implants the idea that we are careful about what we share. We are careful about the conversations we get into online. And that is really something that's hopefully going to pay off later. You plan it now and it pays off once they're making their own explorations online. Um, if you kind of uh, put forth the notion that I as a parent control your narrative and I can say whatever I want, um, you know, that draws a straight line to a teenager who thinks that they can, you know, they should put everything up and not care about the consequences or not care about what anyone else says. And that's really not what we want our teens to be doing. And this is the voice of Anya Kamenetz, the, uh, the writer, the author of a book called The Art of Screen Time. And you can read her stuff in The New York Times and here on NPR. Anya, you say role modeling for kids. When I found out many years ago about this way of tracking my kids' grades online, I was like, I became addicted to it. I was looking at it every day and talking about my kids. And then I got to a point a couple of years ago where I said, that's it. I'm not doing it anymore. The kids can tell me what their grades are when I ask. They can go online. I'm not going online. I'm not checking up on our kids. And then there are the apps like Life360 to be able to tell where they are, to make sure that they're safe and so forth. Is there a fine line on how much we're doing to make sure that they're free and clear with their devices and where they are in the world? You know, I really believe in in kind of the Ronald Reagan line of trust but verify. I think that... Ultimately, we want kids who can go out into the world and make good decisions on their own without us tracking their every move. That's not appropriate for us uh, as they get older. And so figuring out how to gradually do that fade out and to trust them and communicate that we do trust them to make good choices um, is something that's going to be very different for, for different kids. I mean, some kids have social and emotional developmental differences or they're more prone to be um, impulsive. Other kids earn your trust and they show again and again that they can make good choices and they really need us to believe in them. That's what teenagers need most of all. And so, uh, you know, even if you decide to uh, tell them that you're going to check in only if they really need it, only if they're in trouble, um, I think that that's, that's really a healthy thing to do. And of course, the older they get, the less control you're going to have. And if you push yeah. too far, yeah. uh, the chances are that they're going to try to hide from you. Yeah. Anya, I mentioned before the constant battle that goes in, in our house about screen time and faces and phones. And I get that when they come home from school, they want an hour or two to themselves. They don't want to be bothered by mom or dad. They want to be able to do what they do. And I get that. And I think it's important. But then comes nighttime and how many hours is too much and when should you take it away from them? I I have a co-host on this podcast, Jason Hamilton. They take the devices, all devices, including phones, away from their kids at 930 precisely every every weeknight. If I did that, my 17-year-old would say, Dad, you're hurting my social life. I'm I'm in a chat room with all my friends, and it's important, and you're saying I'm not allowed to be in there with all my friends. So it's just this constant battle within myself and battle with them as to what the appropriate actions are. And then the question becomes, you know, nighttime activity. How much do these do these screens negatively impact sleep? I've read some studies on that. What are your thoughts on some of those things? Yeah, uh, the curfew is a very um, tricky one, and I think uh, you're right that the, some of the best evidence we have about screen time 
has to do with its its deleterious impact on sleep. And it really is a habit. You know, I think adults feel this as well. We sleep with our phones in our bedrooms. It's very bad for us to do that. And so enforcing a reasonable curfew that allows your kids to get a full night's sleep um, is sort of a, a bright line that it's it's fair to draw. You know, obviously one day they're going to leave for college and they won't be able to have a curfew then. Yep. Um, but hopefully they've they've gotten to know the feeling of having a good night's sleep and you can allow them to reflect on that. So, yeah, I would advocate for taking away the phone, maybe not at 930. Maybe there's a compromised time and maybe it's a privilege that's earned um, as well. But that's really... Uh, that's an important place, I think, for parents to really uh, try to uh, be be strong. I know you have children, so we'll end here. We go to a restaurant, the four of us, wife and two kids, and we've all seen the story and the visual, right? You go to a restaurant, you look over to the other booth, and there's a family of four, and they're all on their phones. Every one of them is in their own world, sitting at a restaurant, not talking to one another, on their phones. And I say to myself, please, dear God, don't let us be that family. But we are mm-hmm. at times that family. So uh, I wonder aloud, is it better to be with your kids in the same room while everybody's on their phone as opposed to everybody being in their own rooms? Or is it all the same? And how do we not become the family of four that has our face in phones and restaurants? <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a wonderful observation. I think uh, it gets to the point that, you know, we're, we're doing all of this in public and it is all getting worked out kind of in a very public space. Um, I think ideally, if I can offer a third option, is that some of your media time hopefully is shared time. I don't know if that's a family movie night. I don't know if you listen to podcasts together or you are showing each other funny videos, but you really want to have some of the time where you're with your, with your devices together, as well as that offline family time and whatever it takes, if it's a water park or if it's, you know, barbecuing outside or something else where you just can't have your phones. That's really important. It's important for your kids to look you in the face and, and have a conversation, even if it can't be all the time. Well, I think I've learned. I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm in a better spot than I was before we started the chat, but I but I I have some things that I'm going to try to implement with my 17. Oh, with the anonymous podcast host 17 <laughs> and 13 year old Anya. Thank you for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. We very much appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mitch. Good luck. That's author, New York Times writer, and NPR contributor Anya Kamenetz trying to teach me about the art of screen time. World-class hospitality makes each Daniel special. Daniel's new downtown location is truly unique, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. That's right, breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week at a Daniel's Broiler at the new Hyatt Regency Daniel's, located within Daniel's Broiler, the Rick House Whiskey Bar, a bar within a bar, featuring over 150 selections of high-end whiskeys and other fine spirits from around the globe. Daniel's new downtown Hyatt Regency location offers a happy hour from 3 to 6.30, seven days a week, plus live piano music. Music, located at 8th and Howell at the beautiful new downtown Hyatt Regency. This Daniels has the largest dining room seating capacity, so those coveting Friday and Saturday reservations are more likely to come true at this location. Locally owned by the Schwartz family. South Lake Union, Lesheim Arena, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. On Filtered. Uh, 
Anthony Davis for three players, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three first-round draft choices, and there's no guarantee that Anthony Davis is going to play more than one year. I know he says he will, but there's a chance. There's no chance. He's not obliged. There's no chance. But he's not obliged to stay there. Contractually, he's not, but there's no chance he's not. Okay. But he could. If he's allowed to change his mind. That was a lot. I mean, that's a lot for one player. Williams Hall. Oh, but they were much criticized for the Ricky Williams Hall. And so is this. But they may win a championship with. Aren't these two guys good enough to win a championship? Who? What two? Anthony Davis and LeBron James together? No. 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 Who's better than. The Lakers with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The top four seeds in this year's playoffs. Are you kidding me? With what what are you surrounding, What surrounding cast do you see with the Lakers right now that's gonna win a championship? There's my boy Kyle Kuzma. Now ask me if I know what I know about I don't know anything about Kyle Kuzma. Okay. My son told me Kyle Kuzma's very good. Okay. And they can still go out and get more free agents, right. maybe a Kemba Walker. That's right. Go out and get some what, more things. With what is currently today, as we record, yeah, the Lakers aren't beating anyone. Really? Even with Anthony Davis and LeBron no. James? Boy, that seems like a hell of a duo. No. That's the best duo of any of all these, the KD, Steph Currys, the the James Hardens. No? It's not. This is the, what was a better duo than this? This is the best duo going, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, inside, outside. I mean, what don't you have covered with LeBron James and Anthony Davis? Ball movement. The ball does not move with LeBron James ever. But that's really? not, I'm, that's I'm not even the point. I'm surprised you're salty about this a little bit. I'm not salty as if I think ultimately it's not going to work out for the Lakers. I'm not LeVar Ball. Like I say again, it'll be the worst move the Lakers ever did in their life, and they'll never win another championship. Guaranteed. I told y'all it was crashing down. Now it completely crashed, but at least my son got off the boat before the thing exploded. I gave him a chance. You can rewind it and go back. And I said, if you get the three ball brothers, you're going to survive this. You let them go. Oh, it's going to be a cold day in hell. <laughs> I'm not LeVar Ball. I think ultimately it will work out for the Lakers because they're going to attract free agents. That's a completely separate thing. They, Rob Palenka, Jeannie Buss, the Lakers, mortgage the future with draft picks thinking we are going to attract proven players that we're going to sign with big contracts that are going to come in and fit into what we want to do. So we're okay letting the kids go. And I'm okay with that. But to say today, AD and LeBron without Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart, without the supporting cast, because you have to have a supporting cast, without a supporting cast, they're not ready to win. KD and Clay Clay are not even going to play next year. That's right. So who's going to have who, – are you telling me Denver's the better? Rockets? They're all better. Denver? Portland's better. Yeah. Real, they're Portland? all They're all better than, than the Lakers. Than the Lakers today, right now? Is yeah. There, yes. Wow. All right, I don't know anything about basketball then because I just see those two guys and you put three guys on the floor around them, they got to be pretty damn good. No thanks. With Anthony Davis. No? No thanks. Okay. Uh, the Warriors – Talk to me Talk to me. come October 31st, first day of, you know – the season. Let's see who's actually on their roster, and if they have Kemba or Kyrie or somebody else, it's a different game. The Warriors say they're going to offer max contracts to both Clay and Kevin Durant, 
even though neither may play next year? How about paying like $70 million smart. for two guys really smart. that are literally not going to play? Super smart. The smartest thing they could ever do. But only one of them will probably take it. It, it, it really doesn't matter because what they're, what they're trying to do is say, listen, we're family. We know you're not going to play. We're going to pay you. Let's keep this thing together. When you come back, you guys are healthy. We'll still have Steph. We'll still have Draymond. We'll put a team around you guys. We'll be the nucleus going forward. The salary cap will increase. We're just going to stay together. We're all hurt. This was the toughest thing we've ever been through. This is a kumbaya kind of thing, and maybe it works. I don't think it will, but maybe it works. It'll work for one. I, I, why wouldn't Clay stay? Where does Clay go? Well, go? Clay, I don't. He can make had, more. Had more, neither one of those guys got injured, it would have been really interesting to see what they would have been able to keep together. Now it, it's a crapshoot. It really is. Kawhi Leonard's going to have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. The guy on ESPN, ESPN.com, who we just had, says the Clippers are better than them all if Kawhi Leonard comes. Mm-hmm. He, they're better than the Lakers with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And I'd love to believe that because I'm a Clippers fan, but I don't see how Kawhi Leonard and the, and the Clippers – I know the Clippers have some nice pieces. They do. But Anthony Davis and LeBron James across across the Staples Arena. No? no. I, I just have that too. That's just too mighty in my mind. I've got I, that I'm way so overrated. I'm so with Kevin on this. If – if Kawhi goes to the Clippers with – because no one on the Clippers is a dominant, got to have the ball, you know, we should be the star player. Yeah. yeah. They would be the most cohesive team in the NBA with some guys that can really play, can okay. really score. Got it. All right. We're going to finish up with news of Jason D. Hamilton. You're wearing the Pebble Beach – you're wearing the Pebble Beach 1919. I wanted you to come with us. Mm-hmm. You have kids' responsibilities. Yeah. But we want to talk a little bit about, you want to talk a little bit about, I hope. I do. Yeah. About do I? your, well, I, I'd like to, I think our, our listeners want okay. to know that you've made some hard decisions. Yeah. Moving forward about Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah. Tell everybody your hard decisions. Mitch Unfiltered is in an unbelievable place. Thanks to Jason D. Hamilton, it's on a huge the, part of it. It's on the air. Mitch Levy is, is doing a podcast, which yeah. was ultimately the whole thing. And I, No, it wasn't the whole thing. It was. I, now, I'm going to let you do this, but I am not going to sit back and let you spread fallacies, okay? I'm going to step in. Wow. When you say to me that it was all about Mitch Levy and only Mitch Levy, and a Mitch Levy's in a good place right now, and Mitch Unfiltered's in a good yeah. place right now, you're you're selling you're intentionally selling yourself short. No, I'm not. The reason that this thing, I'm happy to take a lot of the credit. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. But the reason why this thing has been well received so far, yeah, a good portion of it is the chemistry, the on-air relationship yes. between you and me. Uh-huh. And it's the reason why I reached out to you in the first place. It so is. don't don't start with the whole. Because Mitch is in a good place and Mitch Unfiltered is great and you don't need me and I'm nothing and I have this, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do your thing, but don't, 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 don't blow. You had a major part, part, a major part of why we are which, where we are. Which is, I, I'm not, I'm actually not even talking about that, but okay. thank you. Okay. Uh, all I'm saying is right now the podcast is being listened to. It is 
being downloaded. Yes, people it is. are enjoying people like it. People are liking the podcast for lots of reasons. You being one major That's, reason. Okay. That may or may not be true. Okay. That is a complete aside to my personal reasons for wanting to join you on the podcast to start in the first place, which was I wanted to see you get back on the air. Okay. I wanted to see you do what right. you do. Okay. And that's and, why I joined. Okay. So now what are you going to do? So now Now you're never going to talk to us again. No. Now that it's now that it's going and it's up and it's running, I am going to step away from the podcast because Why? I have, People want to know why. They you better come up with a damn good reason why. <laughs> and I'm not letting chintzy reasons go through why. There, all right? there, there, there doesn't need to be a bunch of different reasons. Just tell why. People are not gonna. People want a, a reason. Is it too much for you? Is yeah, yeah. it too much of a sacrifice? Are we asking too no, much no, of you? Actually, I've tried to do everything I can you to did. make this really you did. palatable for you. That's exactly true. So this is so, not, this is not this about is the thanks we get. This You're going to walk away now. Yeah, this is not about you not trying to make. And you have been amazing, and we have had this conversation over the last three or four months about how do we make this more palatable for you so that you can keep doing this. Right. So what is the what, what is the reason? Give us at least a little taste yeah. of what the reason is. Yeah, sure. That you don't ever you want to ignore us. For yeah. The, rest yeah. Of your life. the the biggest reason is yeah. I'm overcommitted and I've made commitments to my family that I can't keep by doing all of the things that I'm currently doing. So I'm paring back the things that are the most recent, recent. Yeah. And, um, seemingly, um, the less impactful for what's going to happen for my family. Like, so the, the, the hours that are, uh, I'm taking away from doing certain things. I'm saying like, I could pare back that. I can pare back that because I've made some other commitments and I'm just over, I'm over committed right now. But the, but the, what you're saying is, yeah. is that the time that you're spending on with us yeah. is taking away from the time that you need to be present for your family and do other things. And, I accept that. Yeah. Except for the fact that we can do a lot of things and we've tried to do a lot yep. of things to make this so minimal. Yeah. In fact, I, you know, I can understand where the Sundays with the AAU games and the sure. travel and everything you got going on and having to leave there and come yep. here. I get all I get all yeah. that. But why can't you stay connected in a small way? And I don't don't give me the whole I'll be a guest during Husky basketball season. People want more than that. Why can't? Why is that not? Why is that not being connected? That, because it's not enough. It's it's not enough for somebody who's been a part, a yes. voice in this yeah. for as long as it has. Why not just allow yourself, allow us mm -hmm. to develop a plan where for thirty minutes a week yeah. on a phone, yeah, you can just call in and mm -hmm. be a part of the patron show. You don't have to come here. You don't sure. have to come on Sunday. You don't have to be a part of the Sunday show. Sure. Why can't we divide? I am willing. I am saying this for the record for you and uh -huh. for everybody else. Uh -huh. I am willing to do whatever I need to do. I just I'll we'll go find some other voices. Hotshot Scott was sure. great. Rick yeah, Neuheisel has, has said, hey, we'll I'll do some of it. Nice. Steve Steve uh, Phillips has said, hey, I'll do some of it. We'll get some people to, nice. to, to love it. But but I want I don't want the uh, I'm looking at you in the eye yeah. and saying I don't want you to just sever until basketball season. I'm not going to sever. Why can't you do, why can't you, if I said to you, we'll do the patron show, 
on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night. It's your choice. You'll call in. Yeah. We'll do it for 30 or 45 minutes. We can do it in the afternoon. We can do it at night. Yeah. And then you're, you're home free. Just to be connected with something that you were a part of from the beginning. Yeah. Why can't we do that? Or can we do that? We can't do that. We can't do that. You can't even be a part of the patient. It's not, it's not so much about that. Okay. It's about me actually stepping away from some of the commitments that I have and saying, like, I am stepping away from them. I am, I am, I am not going to be bound by the board meetings and as you and I have talked about, there, there's there's more. I'm not just not doing Mitch Unfiltered. I'm actually resigning from a couple of things, even to the point where I had talked about potentially not doing Husky basketball radio. Really? Don't do that. You've, like, been, you've been 500 games. You got, like, the, you got the ball. Like I said. Don't take the ball back. There's just more commitments out there in a shorter. I have ace. I'm having trouble with this. On a, I, Here's what I will say. On Father's Day. Yeah. I have a short window of time to do a couple of things over the next few years that I'm going to do. And I'm going to make sure that the time that I have, I'm going to spend it doing those things and the things that I can cut, I'm going to cut. Okay. I get that. And uh, you know, we can fight about this all day. Well, we're not fighting. I, I, I think uh, it, you know, I'm, disapp- I'm disappointed. Well, I'm disappointed in this because I feel like what you're saying is, is if my this is what I feel like yeah. is if your connection to Mitch unfiltered only took 60 seconds per week, if it took 60 <laughs> seconds that you would still not be, you That's would still disconnect because you have to just disconnect. And I'm saying to you, we can do this in a way where we will not impose on any of those things on father's day that you have to do in the next few years. Mm-hmm. We can be the listeners and me and everybody involved can be so easygoing mm-hmm. that we would make sure that it doesn't impose for a half a second on any of those things. And you're still looking at me saying, no, it's not good enough. I don't want to do it, which makes me feel mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Makes me feel that there's something else here. It makes me feel like, is he getting grief from people for being a part of Mitch's oh, comeback? No, no. Does his wife want him to stop? Does, uh, does the no. family, is the family giving him a hard time? No. If he's not willing to even do, I'm just being honest yeah. with you here. I don't want to hurt your feelings because you know how much you mean to me yeah. and, and, and what you've done means to me, but I'm pushing here. Yeah. It just seems to me that if we... You're saying that it doesn't matter. You could make this the easiest thing and the non, most non-time-consuming thing in the world that will not impede on anything or impose on anything, and I still won't do it. That, you can understand, if you were in my shoes, makes me feel like, so there's something else. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something else. So why not just try? And you can say on the patron shows, I can't do the next week. I can't do the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Get somebody else. Or I can't, you know, on Tuesday, I don't want to do it today. I want to do it Thursday night. Fine. Uh, tonight, I want to do 20 minutes instead of fine. Today, I want to do, I want, next week, I want to do it on Tuesday. The following week, I want to do it on Thursday. And the fo- week after that, I'm not going to do it at all. And the week after that, I'm not going to do it all. And the week after that, I'm not going to do it all. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Why, why not just humor us yeah. and just say, okay, Mitch, we'll try, we'll try to to do that and and at the moment that it's impeding yeah. or imposing yeah, it's good. we won't yeah, do it. Yeah, it's good. Cuz that's not how I am. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't. No, no, cuz uh, I'll answer that. Okay. Cuz typically 
I'm an all in or all out kind of a person. And what you're suggesting is yeah. something that's sort of in. Yeah, it's, I'm suggesting that because that's what our listeners and that's what I want. Yeah, of course. That's what the world wants. No, the, the world doesn't sort of want in. that. The world wants Mitch Levy. Stop it. Don't do not do this. That's what the you world wants. You promised you weren't going to do no, this. No, I didn't promise The world you wants said that. both of us. No, the world wants Mitch Levy to be on the radio or yeah. on the podcast, and yeah. that's what's happening. Right. What I am looking at yeah. is something much, much different than that, much broader than that. And I'm saying, if I can't do this and commit to this and be on the show in the way that makes the show better and grows and does this, hold on. And in a way that works for me, those all have to be married. I shouldn't do it. And that's where, that's the point that I've come to is that I cannot do all of the things. And it's not about, listen, it's not about the show. It's about the broader thing about the show. The show is this piece. Then I've got these board commitments and I've got these kids commitments. And I have these work commitments and I have these travel commitments. I like to say yes, because I like to be busy. And now I am overcommitted and I'm now. This is Michelle's fault, isn't it? No, it's never. Should we, fault. should we blame Michelle? Should the listeners blame Michelle? Ooh. Is it the, is it the, is it the hotel, the Benson hotel story? It is. It is. Did that end up costing us the, it, your it relationship, the relationship with, with she, the podcast? After that came out, she's like, you can't be on that show anymore. She literally said after that, like he outed you. So there's nothing I can do or say I'll, to, to keep you, you to keep I you will connected. Be, I'm the biggest, listen, I am the first person who is in line I should be patron one. I'm the biggest fan You're of the not show. Answer, that wasn't an answer to my question. And I'm asking I will there, still be any, on the show. Is there anything I can do for you to reconsider at least being a part of it on a more regular basis, irregularly regular, than basketball season? I'll call in and talk about the Huskies. Is there anything I can do to get you to agree to at least consider? How about not even agree to it? Mm-hmm. To walk out of here today after episode 44 and say, I'll consider being a little bit more regular. If, Mitch, you're truly willing to let me call in and pick the nights and pick the time and miss. and me- I'm just willing to consider being a fraction of what I was, but a little bit more than what I'm telling Mitch I want to do. Why can't I just be a guy in the bullpen that is rarely used. Why do I have to just be, why do I have to commit? Because we don't have a lot of starters. Yeah, you do. No, we don't. You do. No, no, we don't. We got some, you guys got a okay. lot of if starters. I ha- if, I, if I had a laundry list of Nolan Ryans, yeah. you could be in the bullpen and be that. Yeah. I'm asking you to just walk out of here and consider. Why are we I'm, having I'm, this conversation because on I'm, the air? Because I think people should hear this. Why? Because I want people to hear how you feel. Right. And I want people to hear my reaction to how you feel. Okay. And my reaction to how you feel is is really straightforward. And people yeah. have already shut it off by now. Maybe they haven't. Yeah. It's very straightforward. I, uh, t- the level uh, in which I appreciate your being a part of this from the beginning, I can't even express. Mm-hmm. There are no words to express. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. B, whatever, whatever success and good has come out of this has been in part because of you and me together. Not me, not you, you and me together. Mm -hmm. So I am willing, I want people to hear. 
I said to you when you said, let's, should we discuss this, whatever? Yeah. I said, no, let's just discuss it on the show. Yeah. Because I want people to hear my true reaction. Mm-hmm. My true reaction is I am willing to do, it's a podcast. It's an open canvas. We make the rules. It's not a radio show sure. anymore. Sure. We can do it when we want it, how we want it, for how long we want it. Yep. And no matter how, we, we can do anything we want. It's yeah. all, we own this, okay? Mm-hmm. And I want you and other people to hear that I am willing to fight Fight, 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 and change, and do whatever, and bend, so that you will not just disappear and be a guy in the bullpen who'll come on every once in a while when you need somebody. I want you to be more a part of it, even if it's just a few minutes on the phone here yeah. and there. Where and it that's what I, that's exactly what I've agreed to. You're, what you just the last sentence, what you just said is exact. I am willing to be the guy on the phone for a few minutes on occasion. Something that I am not bound to by a. You're not bound to anything. That's exactly. That's what. That's what I'm saying. Patron shows not bound to anything. I don't, and I cannot have a. And you know this, me calling you at eleven o'clock at night after a travel thing, going from basketball or a work thing. It's hard. We don't do it anymore. We it, it's hard. We won't do it anymore. But it it doesn't work. It doesn't work for the listeners. It do, you see this is where you you are going over the line. You're allowed to tell us how you feel. Okay. You're allowed to tell us how you, how you've come to the you can't yeah. tell listeners that it's not going to work for them. And you well, can't, it doesn't work for and me. You can't you can't tell me what works for me. Okay. I'm telling you what works for me, yeah. and let the listeners tell you via social media after listening to this, what works for them. Yeah. I am I am certain that what works for them is to hear you more as much as humanly possible. So if you can't do it after a game late at night, you don't do it. You are overstating your importance. Yeah. I am not. You are. And, and the truth of the matter is, I believe, you want to talk about like throwing it out there, I believe that you could alter this show and interview one guest... And just do a straight 30-minute podcast interview on a topic. No humor, no banter. And it would be wildly successful. That's right. And, and That's and, what I believe. Okay, that's what you believe. Okay. But so, I'm not doing that. Okay. I, I'm, I'm shutting it down before I do that. That's okay. not what I want to do. Okay. That's not what this show so is. It's never don't, been, But it's never been that. I understand And that's that. not what it's going to be. It's as much about the storytelling and the humor and the banter and two yeah. people who like each other and get along. It's more about that. And the interviews are curveballs that's the fastball 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 yeah, fastball yeah. the curveball. interviews are curveballs i happen to think that i have a pretty good curveball you're saying that i've got a cur- you're saying this show could be just curveballs and i'm telling you there is no way i'm doing that okay there's just no way i'm doing that okay. because that's not what i think my show should ever be about it can mm-hmm. the interviews are a part the banter and i want you to so we so i guess we're at a stalemate you you feel the way you do. I, I can't come over there and make you get on the phone with me. Yeah. But I am going to. Hold on. I am going to continue to invite you. Continue to say, Thank hey, you. can you come on? I'm going to continue to tell our listeners. I invited him. But he, uh, you know, he's coming on. He's not coming on. I'll update them. Uh, but I'm telling you, yeah. I am not going away. Let me ask you a I'm question. I'm not letting you go away but that can easy. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Mr. Interviewee now? Sure. Okay. The question I have for you is. Do you not understand me saying I'm overcommitted? Yes. And that I need to pare back my life. Now it doesn't matter what I'm paring back. It matters to you because you're a, you're 
you're a casualty of being paired back in, in the sense that we're talking about this. But do you not understand being overcommitting, going like, this is too much. I need to make some adjustments in life. And so I'm going to make some adjustments. And it just so happens that this podcast is, you do. I, I, I understand it, but I guess where I can't, where I can't get to the mm-hmm. part that I don't understand yeah. is that if you say you're going to pair back, you're going to pair it back because you just got too much on your plate. Yeah. And, and if something is one minute a week, which ours isn't, but just to use the example, and you're going to say, I'm going to pair that back that I don't get mm-hmm. because that one minute is, it's not consequential to anything. It's not holding you back from anything. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there is a way for us to allow you to pair back Mm-hmm. And for us to bend over backwards to allow you to pair back and do it in such a way where we can make the commitment to this show absolutely so minuscule that it can't have any negative impact on anything else you're doing. And so that's the part that I'm having trouble getting by. And when you say no to that, when you say, Mitch, it's not about how long it is, how long it takes me, whatever. It's not about whether it's one minute. It's just about you know, taking things off my plate, even if it is a minute a week, that makes me feel insecure enough to think, okay, I'm not getting the full story. If, if he's saying he's got to eliminate something that takes one minute a week to do, mm-hmm. just because he has to eliminate it, it makes me feel like there's something else here. Maybe it's not my business. Maybe it is my business. Yeah. But it, that's what that's that's the hurdle that I'm not I'm not clearing, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. The yeah. other part I get, because you are, you're all over the place yeah. and yeah, you got a golf game and a handicap to sandbag yeah. on and, yeah. and so forth. All right. That's it. That's it. So am I am I gonna hear you Thursday on the patrons episode? We'll we'll have to figure that out. Okay, how much really? Yeah. Because the last time I heard you're gonna do this week's Yeah, show. that was before this conversation. Oh really? Yeah. Now, are you mad? No. You're not mad. No, I'm not mad. I'm just I just I just wanna know you know, if if <laughs> if whether or not being on that patrons episode is you know too much can you handle that or you can't handle that or are you being are you trying to be flipped yeah now? i am you're trying to be flipped with somebody whose feelings are hurt. yeah it's not working okay your flipness is not well appreciated okay my feelings are hurt all right because i want you because i want you to know how 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 much and how important you are to what i'm doing in this project i appreciate and that. i and that for a good portion of the time previous to this i was thinking that if he's not going to do it i'm not going to do it and so can't do that and so okay well i could no you could but could. that'd be dumb if I don't, if I can't do the show, you can the way I want to do it. Yeah. You Again, can. you can speak for yourself. Okay. You can't speak for me. Okay. If I can't do the show the way I want to do it, mm-hmm. and the def- definition of the way I want to do it is the way we've been doing it: mm-hmm. banter, fun, storytelling, talk about uh, things happening in sports, non-sports, and interviews. If I can't do it, then I'm not going to do it. And you, you, this throws me for a loop. So I have to figure out whether I can still do this. But I still want you to contemplate being a little more part of the show than just walking away and sayonara, Mitch Unfilled. I told you I would be part of the show. We, you're, you're making it sound like I'm saying I'll never be on the show again. I told you I would do guest coast fill-in, guest co-host fill-in. I would do Husky basketball conversation. Okay, you understand the guest co-host fill-ins might be every week. We might need a <laughs> fill-in every week. No. All right. Yeah. I love you. Yes. Thank you. I love you. Happy Father's Day. Happy. Did you do anything on Father's Day? I didn't even ask you this. I, got, uh, you get, you I get, got breakfast and dinner. Pampered? I got breakfast and dinner. My wife's amazing. 
If you said to your wife, should I continue to do Mitch Unfiltered, what would she say? Give me the honest truth. She would say, um, what else are you going to give up in lieu of that? So she wants you to give up some things. No. She would say she knows that I'm overcommitted, and she said, what would be your substitute if you kept okay. doing Got that? It. Got it. Yeah. All right. Hank Aaron. Episode Henry Aaron. It's not where I thought you were going, but... Where did you think I was going? It's not where I thought you were going, but... We'll... Episode Hank Aaron is now... In the books...